here we are. Twenty twenty is all done and dusted. Well, nearly. We're in that fucking <laughs> void between Christmas and New Year where it feels like you just sort of float. Aye. Um, in, a year, in a year where time was already pretty meaningless, we're in the most meaningless week of that year. You know what I mean? Aye, mate. Aye, mate. Anyway, as we were saying, Merry Christmas, mate. Aye, Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to everybody that's listening. It's just been... I mean, we were just decided to do this like a yearly review. So we sent you off mic there, mate. I... I spent about an hour yesterday writing up some notes and then read them back again and was like, Jesus fuck, man. Like, <laughs> 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 And then just decided to fucking chop some shit out because it was just so extensive. But yes, even just try to think back to January last year, man, it feels like a fucking, what, a decade ago or something? This is the thing. I was watching the um, Death to 2020, the Charlie Brooker, and it's basically the yearly screen wipe, except he's taken himself out and replaced you know, his dialogue with people playing characters. I, I thought it was all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they opened up with like, the Australian forest fires and, you know, obviously coming really close to the brink we are and stuff like that. And I was like, fucking hell, man. Like, I, I actually, like, that was this year. Like, normally, like, the you know, coming to the brink of world war and, you know, things like that would have been way higher up the list of things that, you know, instantly spring to mind. But I think the year's been that much an absolute fucking shit show that, I looking back on it myself, I was like, fuck was that this year? Like several times. Aye, absolutely, more. mate. I think that's probably like, it's cool to remind people that we did start the year with like half of Australia on fire or like half of the fucking planet on fire. Um and it felt like we were heading towards some sort of like pre predicted extinction rebellion version of the apocalypse, which just mm. soon went went nowhere and we ended up like where we are here which we'll talk about but i and as well like fuck man like trump took out an iranian like fucking general (laughs) just because just because um i watched that uh death to 2020 myself and the the response that trump gave i was actually sitting thinking i mean they highlighted it they were like he I think he said that he came back with like the argument of like a three-year-old or something like that. Just like he's a bad guy, so we, we killed him. He was bad. He was a monster. Um, and I was sitting thinking like that kind of sums up American foreign policy as is that they think that they're per- the perpetual good guy and that they're giving the world ridding the world of monsters when it actually turns out that really it's all just like financially, like economically based. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that. We're going to talk a lot about the economy. It's been used as like a sort of fucking battering ram for cunts this year um, to justify whatever they want to get done. But I, it was his response was hilarious. Just like justify killing this guy is while Iran's in like protest and wanting nuke the people of Iran want to want their government to nuke America, and he's just like he was a monster. People said he was a monster, so we fucking killed him. So like, wow. Aye. incredible. I know, I know, but that, I mean, that's the level. Of, I mean, you've seen it even now with this guy. I mean, since we last spoke, um, he's enacted, you know, what the first federal executions in American, you know, in America for, I think the previous one was like two, 2003. George Bush Jr. killed somebody at a federal level. And then again, another like 20 year gap before it. So it's like, no. It's not a done thing, and especially mm-hmm. not a done thing where, you know, I, essentially a lame duck president, somebody who we all know is out in his arse in like, what, 10 days or so, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. for him to be, I think he's killed some like 13, or executed 13 people uh, in the last fortnight at a federal level. So he's, he's not just like 
broke the convention and done it at a time where does he really have the authority to be like killing people as you know electioneering for his next run like law and mm-hmm. order shit you know that you know law and order bullshit but then this is clearly what his base response to whether it be Iranian generals or you know sort of federal prisoners is that you know their idea of justice is you know somewhat biblical even if it's you know a, a misunderstood you know representation of what the Bible says about these things but it's just my draconian let's start to finish yeah. so I think you know his book ended the year with his brutality quite nicely as well as you know peppering plenty you know across the faces of protesters and stuff throughout the year as well. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Also, like good riddance to him. <laughs> record numbers of people dying in the global pandemic because he's yeah. in a, like he's uh, I don't know he's incompetence. And um, the story in January that really like I was like because the Australian fires I was like oh right aye aye and the Iranian thing I was like fuck and I think we covered both of them in the podcast. But aye. I think the main story that gave me like a pure fuck was that this year was the Harry and Meghan. I couldn't believe that that was this year. Um, mm. But I think like that was the big story for me in, in January that Meghan Markle had announced that her and uh, Harry were going to sort of take a step back and yeah. move to Canada, or was it? America? Was it, I'm sure it was Canada. I think it was Canada as well. Uh, this, um what gave me doubt of that was the thing on that death to 2020 where the, the woman said they were moving to America. The woman that was playing the Queen, she was like, "They're moving to this country because it's racist to the." To America, which has never had its problems with racism. I think that's Aye, I'm pretty sure it's like Newfoundland or something like that they went right. to, like. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's Canadian territory. Uh huh. Um, the big story surrounding this really was just the sort of response that they got. Um, especially, I think I remember Pierce Morgan being like a big sort of screamer. I like mm. how how dare she? It was like almost like a group of mates when when their, their mate first gets a bird and dis- and says, Oh listen, I'm Aye. not gonna I'm not gonna make five sides a night or uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to make it to the night out on Saturday because I'm doing something with my bird that's like she's changed you. It was like a sort of <laughs> <laughs> national version of that. Aye. There certainly was. I mean and I think probably why you've went fuck this was this year with that particular story is that, that that was something that had been bubbling under the surface for a while. Um, and I think some of our attitudes towards the last, or some of the press's attitudes towards the last, I mean, we spoke about it a, a few times where, you know, we compare and contrast the coverage that she and um, the other one got, you know, for the exact same shit. You know, the the, the, the juxtaposition in them was absolutely bonkers. And like mm-hmm. we kind of concluded that it really was about, you know, the lassie's mixed race, you know, there was a lot made about her being a divorcee and you're like, it's the 21st century, like, I mean, Prince Charles is a divorcee married to another divorcee, another like, divorcee. why is it, mm-hmm. why is it an issue that, you know, somebody who's whatever, what, sixth in line to the throne and he gets further away every time they spit out another wing, um, you know, really, do we care? Well, I, I, I feel quite sad in a way because I think they were talking about a modern version of monarchy that I think I could probably live with. Like they were talking about leaning less on the public purse, relying more on making their own money so that they could then, you know, have the autonomy to make their own decisions. And, you know, living Mary a kind of like almost celebrity lifestyle rather than, you know, one a monarchy. And I'm like, uh-huh. when you look, we've used examples of places like Holland, some of the Scandinavian countries where the royal family a royal family in name only and they these types of things have businesses or lawyers and have you know professions and stuff like that 
And it seems to work fine, but I, I don't know why this notion was such a radical idea. It's maybe just British traditionalism or whatever. I've got no problem with you know, <laughs> folk who don't want to see something like the monarchy change, but you know, when you see the the, the you know low-key undercurrent of racism um that was allowed to kind of like run it rampant as a result of them asking for this slight change in their circumstances, then uh, there's definitely bigger issues we need to address. And I think the whole thing, you know, when you look at the year of it, like with guys like Andrew and that, you know what I mean? You're just like, what are we doing here? You know, this is outdated, like we don't need it. Like, and all it does is just, you know, it's meant to bring the country together, but this year, you know, the monarchy were a big part in what, you know, drove people apart, you know, a really mm-hmm. sort of big wedge issue on a number of fronts, you know what I mean? So I don't know why we're still not asking the question, like, do we even need this shit anywhere? You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. I, 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 compl- I mean, I can't agree more. I think that we should absolutely move towards them being merry a sort of figurehead. I mean, it, in, in everything other than <clears throat> finances, really, I think that they are kind of obsolete and irrelevant. They've got no power. Um, I don't think she or her family would ever try to interfere in sort of politics. Mm. But Charles has like danced on the edges a few times. So he has like mm. he was in a, in a scandal a few years ago called the Spider Letters, and like that was they called the Spider Letters because his handwriting so bad that letters look like spiders on the page. Oh, and this um, was the letters to Tony Blair. I was like lobbying politicians and stuff like that, which is like. Not the done thing, but at the same time, I mm-hmm. largely speaking, there are you know there are those draws, but those letters went in a drawer and were largely forgotten about. You know what I mean? Uh huh. But they still draw the money. I think that's the main thing. I think the thing mm-hmm. that really sort of sticks in people's sort of throat. With it. I mean, I think what, what exactly what you were saying, the sort of Spanish, um, Dutch type thing where they take a sort of like a celebrity like uh, Grace and Monaco, like that mm-hmm. type of thing, but. I think the thing that really sort of I disagree with viscerally, they can have their palaces and they can they can be the king and queen of the country, they can do whatever they like, but it's the, the amount of money that they draw out of the public purse. I mean, Aye. at some point this year, I think COVID put a kibosh on it, but they announced something some stupid budget for fucking Beatrice's wedding. Um, <laughs> and I think it was yeah. like 12 million quid they were getting there to have a wedding. I, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. I mean, you know who I mean? is she? The Queen's granddaughter? I think, is it great Andrew, granddaughter? No. Andrew and Fergie's daughter, granddaughter, daughter. Which makes it even worse for me, considering her dad's a fucking, pretty much been <laughs> fucking outed as a paedophile this year. They're trying mm. to hand her 12 million quid. But uh, thankfully, COVID, I mean, look at, let's look at the positives, like COVID intervened and she didn't <laughs> get a big... We're going to avoid another royal wedding. wedding. But I absolutely, man, like I think, like you're saying, the royals have became a real... I think in Scotland, it's always kind of been since... I mean, that was one of the things in 2014. We've mm. got that famous video with that fucking idiot with the, the England top on talking about, like, the £22 million pounds she brings in. With bank, if we stopped that, it would bankrupt Britain. You know, like... One, £22 million isn't even a speck of dust on the, the economy's fucking cock. Yeah. But she she might gee more than she takes, but see that 20-odd million quid a year that she mm. takes, see if she gees that back, it means that we get even more firm, considering that her family are probably one of the richest families on the planet. This they can that. afford to gee it back. So I think this is what sticks with people. 
Um, the Dutchies and the Landonans and you know the you know the the Holdens and companies all in the world tax havens mm-hmm. and all these other things that have been you know showing up. Like there's no need for them also to be like dipping into the public purse. And mm-hmm. and it is that whole oh well it's tradition. You know like well hold on like they're like the biggest landowners in the country like they don't need more money but that thirty whatever it is thirty four million thirty six million they got last year whatever in that uh-huh. ballpark. I mean that could make a big big difference to. You know stuff at a ground level when we go we don't have Aye, you know this money for school meals and we don't have the you know whatever but yet we're going here's like 35 million 36 million new questions to ask see you later you know what mm. i mean it doesn't make any sense anymore and as i'm saying i'm not saying abolish it i'm just saying when you look at the absolute riot they've been in this year you know we probably need to just ask the question like do we need to like renegotiate this do we need to look at you know other models and you know Honouring tradition whilst also like modernising, like how do we stop you know the backlash that we've already seen this year when people suggest even the slightest change to the institution because you know it can't go on forever unchanged like Aye. it just doesn't make any sense. Absolutely, mate. And then on what the thirty first of January, the fucking Big Ben told and we left the the European Union. Mm. Well, the twelve month transitional period. Yeah, four years after the the vote (laughs) 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 kicked in Um, but I think as the years went on this has kind of been forgotten about isn't it it's almost been like we got to we got to December and it was like oh fuck aye we've got a a Brexit negotiation that's been ongoing this year (laughs) we've had so many distractions and it kind of like come up things Covid Mm -hmm. you know what I mean Definitely got in my face and, and sort of masked a lot of what was going on. But at the same time, it also like stretched out the process. I think the, the 11 months was after an extension period because of COVID and stuff like that, where right. they couldn't right. negotiate couldn't negotiate due to travel restrictions for like months at a time and stuff like that as well. So uh, it's had a, a big impact at every level of that one. Mm-hmm. Aye, absolutely. But I mean, it kind of just, they got to wave their flags and then... I mean, I think like what was coming around the corner was just like mammoth, mate. But I, I think it was weird how Brexit was. I don't know. January felt like the fucking Royal Rumble, and it just all got like settled. We had like climate change, we had like a racism question with with Harry and Meghan, and we had Brexit coming up. It just felt like fuck, man. Twenty twenty's got off to a great start, but I mean, honestly, <laughs> mate, we had absolutely no idea. But early in February. I think quite a significant thing happens when Rishi mm-hmm. Sunak gets appointed Chancellor. Yeah. So at the time, I think people are just sort of looking in and going, right, ex-Goldman Sachs, wow, okay, see where this has gone. And it was almost like, I think I was just kind of like, this is like Clinton. This is what Clinton did in America, yeah. was just, he didn't have the economic sort of plan or like well what we're going to do here so just handed it over to somebody that used to be a banker and hope that he mm-hmm. can just sort of like balance the books and i don't know if that's what's happened but it certainly looks like that to me um i think the, the manner in which he was appointed as well was also interesting and it was something that was echoed throughout the year again in terms of the machinations of you know the, the tory party behind closed doors and it was that sunak's predecessor essentially refused to bend the knee to Dominic Cummings and get binned. Um, so he was asked to take on, you know, advisors that were appointed directly by Dominic Cummings and that, you know, would essentially report to, the, you know, the Chancellor Exchequer and Cummings sort of simultaneously. Um, 
and the fella basically told him to stick it up his ass. Um, which you right. know, fair, fair play him. It's, it's hard. It would if you're a career politician walking away from the type of role that Sunak has stepped into is you know bold. You know what I mean? Like especially mm-hmm. when it's about you know not accepting a position that's undermined. And I think when Sunak went in, we all were kind of like. Well, I mean, this guy is clearly only here because he's going to Daisy's told. You know what I mean? Like, um, so that was my sort of overriding first impression of him was that it was going to be a yes man, but but an empty jersey really, and just there today as, as Dominic Cummings tells him to do. You know I mean, and again, that's something that you know has caused clashes all throughout the year or on various different issues and resulted ultimately in you know this sort of stage managed exit of Cummings. Um, Coincidentally, as you know, Brexit gets over the line, they can go I, as, as, as I've actually got somewhere that. else. You know, what I mean? I, like, that's what I've got in my notes. It's like no big coincidence that like all the, the Boris's head advisors have like decided as the Brexit deal starts to go over the line that they're off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like mission accomplished. Really, we'll talk about yeah. that. I suppose as we talk about like twenty twenty one, but the twenty first of February, UK gets its first COVID death. I think by this point, at the end of February, like we knew. Italy was in lockdown, Spain was in lockdown, it was edging closer and closer. I mean, it was almost like the news it, like coming up through Europe. Um, yeah. But I think the UK government um, decided to just stick its finger in its ears and just go like, la, 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 no listening. Didn't want to know anything about it. Um, and I think since then, we've found out that they were all told in sort of January that you know, right. here's the action plan, here's what the World Health Organization... I think in in a documentary that I watched, uh, <clears throat> Trump was actually left, or the Trump administration were actually left, like a battle plan. If a pandemic starts <laughs> in, a- in Asia, here is exactly what you should do in the sort of timelines. Yeah. Um, and I think is that that was written by the CDC, and it, they just went like that with that playbook, just ripped it up and just fucking uh, basketball hooked old. that fucker into the bin. It was the Obama administration's playbook, so, uh-huh. so it was banned because. Had at some point or other been authorised by Barack Obama, um, <clears throat> but I, it was it was crazy. I mean, I don't think we're. I mean, it was like watching almost that you know oncoming tsunami. If you were imagining looking south across Europe and stuff like that, uh-huh. seeing these numbers start to pile up, seeing Italy start to lock down, um, and then obviously you know Spain starting to skyrocket, and then you know weeks passed where the government was advising us not to do this and advising us not to do that and they never actually like took any meaningful and sort of definitive action until whatever the, the 23rd of March and I think well, at that mate, point when we come to March I've literally I've got like a fucking speech that I'm going to say but <laughs> 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 not really but but I know I think like I at this point people I don't know I, I'm trying to remember back and sort of like I'd like to have been able to go back and listen to what we were saying around about the time, but I'm pretty mm. sure that we were already kind of going, something needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and I've had a lot of conversations recently. I don't know, like, it's just to really get, like, your opinion on this, um, because I'll be really interested uh, in the outcome, but I'm a, obviously I'm a very a staunch, like, independent supporter. Mm-hmm. But I want to hear where Nicola Sturgeon sits, like, in this particular bit of the timeline, where we know that Trump, the Trump administration and I think they had said that the G8 had been told in January, yeah. lockdowns, you need to start preparing for lockdown. And then we end up at the 26th of March, but we we almost like followed the UK government 
way their measures. Yeah. And like, I don't think that I'm going to really be that satisfied where well, we were tied to what they were deciding today in the face of like, yeah, what we've been told back then could be like 2% to 10% of the population dying through like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, my feeling and my gut feeling, and, and I'll, I'll pass it to you after I say this, is, is that it's became a financial thing that they've been told that they won't get the backing and they won't get the support to lock down, even if they wanted to do it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the financial side of things is obviously a big factor in it. I mean, we know that there was a lot of criticism of Johnson refusing to lock down officially. And there was chatter, you know, insurance companies lobbying and putting pressure on them to make sure they didn't have to pay out on businesses closing for mm. and stuff with um, <clears throat> You know, Johnson should have walked in dinner, um, calling him play part, you know, especially in how quickly or how, you know, yeah, how fast they opened back up again, um, especially in comparison to Scotland. Um, in terms of like that, how quickly they locked in, I can see both sides of it, you know, Scotland has subsequently went on and made a number of decisions for itself in terms of how it handles it. It could have been quicker to do that, I think. Um, but at the same time, in the early days of this, when you know nobody really knows what was going on, like, conflicting messages was a real worry and un- mm-hmm. undermining, like the the you know the definitive stuff that had to happen. Um, early on, like you know, washing hands, wearing masks, and all these things that are now sort of common practice. Um, had to be really underlined. I think had there been like a full nation separate approach at that point, things might have got confusing. You know what I mean? Like, so there is part of me that I can go, well, we've taken steps on our own since and it's worked in our favour, so yeah. we should have done it sooner. But at the same time, in those early days, I don't know if I would have been, you know, if I was sitting in the, the Scottish government, would I have been willing to have like directly undermined the messaging for Westminster in a global mm. pandemic, you're, you're going to get hammered either way. You're either going to get hammered up front for causing confusion or people are going to go back to it in hindsight and go, as we're doing, like, did you actually react quick enough here? You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. So, kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, with something. Absolutely. I think that's what I'm falling with as well, is that it's it's been sort of the good, uh, for the good of everybody in the, sort of, in the UK. I suppose mm-hmm. it just supports, and with hindsight, it just supports merry an argument for independence if we because it's no we, we're no tied to this full nation approach we need and yeah. what you're saying it, it did kind of make sense to me at the time as well yeah but the bit that i'm sort of like as if they were told and if they were told and they decided not to because the, the tories done in westminster said you only get the backing for us if you do this on whatever earlier and then i don't know man i think yeah again the talking to people about this um, it keeps going back there was actually two people went back to but we need to stop this because we need independence and it's kind of like man I I don't buy that man I'm not buying that like if the SNP fucked us they've fucked us aye absolutely I think furlough has has been a game changer Um, the The Scottish government couldn't have done that on its own that's it and I think that's why I'm saying the finances have come into it they couldn't afford to do whatever they wanted to do which I hope they use as a more of an argument for independence and it doesn't end up in a sort of rabble of like SNP bad um, mm. which even in the last couple of like the last month unfortunately even sort of people that have got my respect in politics people within this podcast have reduced themselves to that 
don't think I'll mm. any names. Um, the big the big story that jumped out at me for February, because we need to remember that this is all pre-COVID, is that the life expectancy in the UK regressed for the first time in a century. Um, I remember that at the time. And at this, in the same week, a report was published talking about the severe impact on mental health that Universal Credit has had on the population of the UK. And I don't think yep. that they two stories are like not connected. Yeah. Um, but I literally, like, if Rhys Mogg and his, like, sort of ideal is to draw, drag us back to Victorian times, then they're fucking doing a great job because we're actually dying younger for the first time in a in 100 years. We've not made any progress on that, man. That's that's wild to me. I think when we look at the marvels of modern medicine and how, you know, look at this year alone, how, you know, we've had quotes for guys saying, you know, 18 to 20 years worth of immunology work has been done in like nine and a half months because, you know, the sciences and medicine have collaborated in a way that they've never seen before. Like, medical technology is at a stage where, you know, there's very few problems that we're kind of, you know, make progress, at least progress in. So you see us take steps backwards in terms of life expectancy as a result of, like, societal pressures is, like, extremely worrying because, you know, it's, it's square at the door governmental policy because it's roofs over people's heads, it's food on people's plates and there's just ideologically against helping people on that front and the, there's, the, the results are, you know, there to be seen. Absolutely, mate. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. I think it's, like you're saying, it's been political choice. And I think that when the history books like look back, Cameron's going to have a lot to answer for. A hell of a lot to answer for. Um, no, even just, I mean, his legacy is Brexit, but this is a legacy of that government. Clegg as well. I think we shouldn't shouldn't really forget that the Liberal Democrats signed off on all the austerity plans that sort of oh, I lit the sold, fire. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the UK electorate has forgot that. To be honest with you, I mean, just Aye. look at where they poll now and where how they you know represent in Parliament and in Holyrood. You know what I mean? Like, just one of the parties that I think people are just done with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There used to be the sort of middle ground between, you know, some of the the other two, but I don't even think that's the case. I think that period of time where Cameron has completely sullied them. You know what I mean? Like, I would never even think about it at this point. Aye, absolutely. I think like a third party really gets a generational vote, don't they? Mm. They'll maybe see an opening once in a generation. And I think Tony Blair and Gordon Brown opened that door to Nick Clegg. And more of a mm -hmm. sort of center like idea. Yep. Um and I mean he was a that that's just a weird one because it it just sort of shows you how much he politics is just dodgy salesmanship because that's all <laughs> that he did really was just promise you and then once you got under the car bonnet, they'd fuck all, they'd nothing there. Um yep. and they could have fought Cameron's conservatives because they were hanging on to a shoestring even way their coalition, but they decided mm -hmm. to do nothing about it. But I suppose that's I not part Cameron of 2020. But... Cameron will ultimately be remembered for, you know, allowing the referendum to build the Yes movement. I mean, Scottish independence prior to, you know, the NDRF was polling in what, the teens and the 20s. You know what I mean? Like that campaign awakened the idea of independence and, you know, what is now the majority of Scottish minds. You know what I mean? Like, so I... He's caused Brexit, which we're seeing, or we're going to continue to see into 2021 mm -hmm. and beyond. And I, I think there'll be lines drawn back to him when it comes to independence, when it inevitably happens as well. 
Aye. So, so some good, some bad. Aye. Speaking of being a big fucker. I hope he enjoys the south of France. I wonder if he'll get extradited. Like, <laughs> well, I suppose we've got our Brexit deal now, haven't we? So mm. it doesn't really matter anymore. Um, but I mean, the big, big, big month of the year was March, mate. Um, like I said, I've, pre- I've prepared a wee speech. I've not really. I've just got some points because, mm. see, when I sat down and I read it and I laid it out, I was actually like pure. Wow! Like it, it just demonstrates how much they don't know what they're doing. When, yeah. when you when you read it out. So what I'll do is, is I'll read out the points that I pulled, which I feel are mm-hmm. like the main points, and then we can just talk about like how we sort of remember it and how we felt. Because like, I, I think I remember at the time like, we were talking quite a lot about like fuck man, this is like it was have you lost me? No, no, I'm still getting no. it. It was like a big sort of not only like monumental sort of thing socially, but just sort of like personally for people. It was like a big yeah. like a massive event. But um so, like the first week, the government drew up an action plan, um, and actually, in the action plan, and I don't remember this, there was a prolonged pandemic scenario, which said that worst case scenario will be the first of November. So that was that was their idea. Of, this is as bad as it's going to get. Which yeah. I'm actually like gobsmacked that they they thought that far. They thought it was going to go that far because I mean I'm sure the first thing was three weeks. If you remember that. Aye, that's exactly how it was pitched to us. It was in that sort of three weeks. When I went after work, I was like, oh, It'll no be reviewed every three weeks, guys. Well, the government had a plan that was drew up nearly three and a half weeks before they shut down the country, saying that it, it could last to the 1st of November in worst-case scenarios, but obviously we're sitting here just mm-hmm. now on the 28th, 29th of December, and we're going back. We're, we're kind of like back aye, at the start. We're in lockdown again, aye. Uh-huh. The 5th of March, government are told by Chris Whitty that the Dublin will begin within the next couple of days. And the P- the Prime Minister announced a £45 million battle fund to help research COVID-19. £45 million. So we'll talk about that like £20, 20 £22 million thing earlier on with the, the Queen. It's not even a speck. That's how much Aye. they thought. We'll just we'll throw some money at it. But in the 5th of March, the government signed, Chief Science Officer, didn't he, Chris Whitty, told them that the, the the Dublin would start and at this mm-hmm. point this is when the government start telling you to wash your hands I mean that's like what a week into March um, Fifth of March, the, first, the first cases in Wuhan were like late December so you're talking like an entire financial quarter has passed before the British government decided to do fucking end about it really Dude, this is two weeks after we have our first death aye so like yeah. we have our first case in January at some point but aye two weeks after the first COVID nineteen death, and the, the the chief science officer saying we've got the cases are going to double within the next couple of days, and then it will continue to double until mm-hmm. we do something. The prime minister doesn't he go to the first two Cobra meetings for a start, which were held at the start of March, and then secondly, Aye. he's a wee token forty five million. And again, like I suppose if people are listening and going forty five million pounds a lot of money, i.e. you, it's an it's a epic amount Aye. of money to any individual. But see if you've ever worked in a a big business or if you do any reading on like government spending, it's nothing. Yeah. Aye. These are people that deal in trillions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like 45 million is in government terms changed on the back of the couch. Aye. So here's a hilarious one for you. So this is four days later. So we're at the 9th of March. Sonic announces a 30 million, sorry, a 30 billion budget to help fight the COVID economic impact. 
really seven days later releasing three hundred thirty billion. So, oh. like on the the ninth of March, he did a budget that assigned thirty billion pound to help hit. The, but then seven days later, they're forced to release another three hundred thirty billion pound. So, so like this is what I'm saying. Like their initial estimates uh-huh, in the course of a week. Within a week, this is what I'm saying, like the pure, and I suppose this goes back to exactly, to back up exactly what you were saying, dude, about like the Scottish government, is, is that you're sitting there going, what the fuck? They, they assigned 30 billion and then seven days later, 330. So they, they really just were clueless. I think they were just throwing darts at a dartboard with like solutions. I just, I like just make numbers up and just hoping that it was going to be enough. You know uh-huh. what I mean? like, but to consider that by this point, Italy had been in lockdown for nearly six weeks. France had been in lockdown for nearly four weeks. Germany had been in lockdown for a fortnight. And we've got Boris cleaning his horns with Kerex on, <laughs> on, on, the, on the news. But and then no even that, dude. To yourself. Aye, oh. no even that. Like a week later, talking about how he was shaking the hands of COVID patients in a hospital. So this was the one that got me at early doors and, you know, unsurprising and, and like the least surprising turn of events of all 2020 was that, you know, guys like Johnson and Trump ended up catching COVID um, and Johnson, yeah, standing there at the podium, you know, behind the seal of his office talking about how he was in hospital shaking horns and guys just an absolute fuckstick. Like, and I find it like quite ironic. This is one of these bits of 2020 that like that, like lizard part in my brain kind of enjoyed and it was that populists like Johnson and Trump who go into their position at least partially by saying like don't trust what the media have to tell you don't believe this don't believe that found themselves at the head of their countries during a global pandemic where they needed people to listen to what the advice of the government was to soak this with spreading and they found themselves trapped and like this you know, web of their own making, where, Aye. you know, they've made mainstream channels so distasteful to their supporters that, you know, their messaging couldn't get through. And, like, I, it was t- terrible that numbers spiked, but, like, just, there was, like, a, a, a nice wee sort of symmetry there on both of their fronts. Oh, where it was, it was beautiful. Like, it was, like, to yourself, you know what I mean? where, where does Trump go? Like, he's, especially, I mean, it started to really hit here. And I think that we've spoke plenty about QAnon, we've spoke plenty about fucking COVID mums. And like the fucking, just exactly what you said there, dude, like the the whole Trump thing is this premise that he's somehow some sort of warrior sent for God to like (laughs) save America and save democracy and save capitalism. As if we didn't create these things and that we could actually save them by ourselves. We don't need fuckstick Donald Trump to, even though he's incapable of doing that anyway. And then all of a sudden he's like, I am not wearing a mask. I'm, I'm still doing my rallies. And then it's like, oh, but I'm shit, I'm sick. And it was Aye. almost like, I think at that point in time, me and you had a, a small conversation, but we did chat in the podcast about like, what does this mean for his election? Because no, where does his supporters go? It just so happened that your supporters just fucking doubled down a belter on it, like just started arming themselves and taking to fucking uh, local sort of town halls and courts and sort of like screaming about their freedoms and that they, yeah, you know what I mean? It was like a weird sort of like they just ignored that whole thing. I've had a really famous picture of the guy who had been protesting his restrictions in his local state and he was standing in subway sandwiches with like an AR-15 strapped to his back and you're like, 
I know it's technically legal in some of these places, but think about how insecure you need to be as a person that you have to walk up and down the street with an assault rifle strapped to your back in public. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Aye. We're going to talk more about BLM in, 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 in a minute, but aye, America is like... That was that shit was crazy. I mean, I think the the worst one that I seen was the guy and the woman in their front garden. The guy had the AR fifteen and the, the, she had the Glock, and he yeah. looked like something out of Miami Vice. He's like tucked in pink polo shirt uh, and he's like white. I mean, there couldn't have been a better image for like the insanity of America uh, than, than two people standing outside their mansion with nobody anywhere near it with a fucking assault rifle like sort of protecting their property like for this yeah. invisible fucking invisible enemy but just like you were saying there with the, the sort of symmetry with Trump and that this has all just been coming since I think the late 90s where every enemy's been invisible everything's been kind of mm. believe it because it's real like the terror threat's going for like amber to red and all this sort yeah. of like bullshit that they've been forcing on people coming to your head exactly and now it comes to a head where they're like we need to down tools with us and we need to actually go guys listen you need to listen to us because this real invisible (laughs) killer's coming for you and people are like I don't believe it it's Bill Gates trying to fucking microchip me or it's 5G or whatever other mental this has been playing out over the course of a decade with with like media and politics and it's just it's like the chickens coming home to roost. So there is a beautiful symmetry that comes with it. Um, so uh, we're at the middle. Of, we're at the middle of March. What I what I was like. This is where it starts to get a wee bit sinister for me. Football and all and all sporting events are cancelled. Um, uh, the health minister and the dean Doris test positive, and it isn't for another five days that the prime minister comes out and advises people that are over seventy or have preconditioned respiratory uh, no. diseases to stay home in the coming weeks. So football's cancelled. Fucking people in parliament are catching this disease and they wait another five days to tell the elderly and the vulnerable to start to shield. It isn't until the 16th of March that they do that. Now, this is where I think, again, it's really important because Matt Hancock later in sort of June, July, claimed that this is the date that they locked down. Yes. When actually it's not. So we need to be very, very careful that they don't try and rewrite history with us. So the 16th Definitely. of March, the vulnerable and anybody with a pre-existing condition is advised to stay home and the daily press conferences begin. And this is when I really remember, like, I was really starting to get worried at this point. Like, I was starting yeah. to be like, fuck, I'm not going to, I'm not doing this. I started to really adjust my behaviour. I was starting to see it a lot in town. And I think we commented on at the time, um, again on the podcast when you know working in the city centre seeing just the actual almost overnight drop off in foot traffic was was quite eerie and quite surreal um, to be there you know nine months later and it's and it's still you know still a very very quiet place in, in relative terms the city centre mm-hmm. um, I it did get really real at that point, I think. Uh-huh. My, I, I remember my concerns starting to shift towards like my team and stuff like that, where, you know, obviously one of the big issues for me is that, you know, my team is in the building. So, you know, we, we're either there or we're not. Um, and, you know, try to, you know, allay people's concerns and, you know, 
talking about what we need, you know, was a big thing for the employers and like you were starting to see everything just move on, you know, sort of every level of professional life because, you know, everybody had questions about every aspect of what was coming. So that took up a lot of my time. And then the lockdown finally came. After we saying, it has to be the day, it has to be the day, it has to be the day for about a week. Um, and it finally came. And I, like that, going through the, the panic and the hecticness of it all, till it just a dead stop was again really quite a jarring experience on you go sorry i was gonna say it felt almost like the election when we were sitting i was saying to you you know i was sitting watching those 24 during the american election for what felt like days at a time and like those first few days in lockdown felt very like you know Similar where you're sitting there with the news on going, right, what's happening now? And seeing numbers spike, seeing countries lock down, seeing you know, travel bans come in and, and all these types of things. I can get why a lot of people's reaction to it was to just disconnect it because it is, you know, a really unique and really sort of jarring experience. I think that we've all Absolutely, mate. Absolutely, man. I mean, I think that's that that's where I personally, I mean, even though we come on here and, and we talk about things and we're talking about like some of these conspiracies and some of the people and the way that they're, they're, they're going about it and the way they're trying to sort of combat is really just to alleviate their own worries. I think like mm -hmm. people kind of deal with us, like they, they just kind of deal with it. They don't have space yeah. for it in their mind or in their emotions. So they, they need to push it as far away. And I think like, as we've been going through 2020 and we've been podcasting, been doing it remotely, I think, Actually, I'd put in my notes to say, like, man, like, well done because we've fucking kept us going uh -huh. all the way through this. It's no Fuck like just me sometimes, but you know aye. what I mean. I like the two years have kept us going, so like, I think we deserve a fucking well done. And we get we get a lot of sort of stuff uh, early Christmas period. People on Twitter, a couple of people on Instagram DMing me and saying like thanks and yeah. stuff, which is like amazing. Like aye, that was really nice of. Got a few uh, nice messages for change. Then no one Absolutely, but like it, I, I kind of. I've got empathy and compassion for people that have, that have sort of disconnected for this because it's a lot to fucking take in. It's a lot to deal with. Um, yeah. And I think that when we talk about the sort of timeline, like Fulwell gets announced on the 23rd, Prince Charles test positive, heads for Aberdeen, clap for NHS in the 27, Matt Hancock test positive in the 28. They announced uh, that mental health will be impacted by this lockdown in the 29th. Like so many things just like happened. Yeah. Um, and like you're saying, not only did we have almost like this manic thing like happening in the news on your social media, but your actual real life, there was yep. nothing happening. So you just had all this time to just sit and engage and think about things. And I think that for a lot of people, it just became too much. And like you're yeah. saying, it, it became more of a, I don't, I don't know how I can impact this. I don't know what I should be doing. So much information, disinformation out there that I'm just going to be like, fuck it, and just mm -hmm. get it to fuck away from me. Um, Definitely. So, I mean, I, March was a I fucking... Up, you know what I mean? Like, I, I went into it quite kind of like, oh, hey, a couple of weeks off, you know, let's you know, think about stuff we can do around the house. And as you know, people were reaching for bread makers and all that kind of shit to occupy themselves. Mm -hmm. But one of the ones I did get a bit of chocolate was the, the panic buying. As we headed towards lockdown, and for some reason, I, I, and I, to this day, I don't have a legitimate explanation as to why it happened. But 
why everybody in the country all at once panic bought toilet roll? I mean, I've seen pictures of people's like whole cupboards that were like chalked to the brim with toilet roll, people like tying down the back bunny to their motor, you know, with stuff busting out. And I and I don't know where or how the toilet roll rumor started. Um, but I it was a very specific, very like odd panic nationwide. Everybody kind of went into um Thankfully, it was something that we kind of learned for, I think. Uh, supermarkets adapted pretty quickly. Um, well, of course it did, because there's, there's money to be made in panic buying bog roll. Um, yeah. But, you know, like, uh, God forbid that we feed starving children, but the middle class cannot have a shitty arse. Like, we can't, <laughs> we can't let that fucking happen. Um, but, I mean, I the panic buying, I think, do you know what? Like, I... I this was kind of like put to me at the time and I was just kind of like, made me think about it and I was like, that's so fucking, it is so true and relevant that panic buying is like a, like a total privilege. Like, I think that the one that get put to me was that somebody that I knew went to the dentist and we're talking to their dentist and the dentist was like, I've got a newborn and um, we went and bought as many nappies as we could get and as many like baby wipes as I could get my hands on. And obviously, right. like I was just sitting there saying to the person that was telling me this, well, you know what, like, they had a newborn kid and they're just trying to take care of their fucking womb. And they were like, well, what about somebody that can't afford to go and spend 150 quid on nappies for the next three months? What are they supposed to do? They are, they are literally, like, behind, not behind you in the queue, but don't have the money to go and buy weeks and weeks worth. So the fact that you're going in and wiping the shelves means that there's somebody there that probably genuinely needs the nappies. And I was like, do you know what, man? I didn't even think about it like that, that they're using their sort of financial privilege to panic by while there's people out there that don't know where they're going to get the money for the nappies. And then yep. the worst thing that happens is, is that they scrape together the five quid or they say, I don't, I'm not even going to pretend to know how much a fucking pack of nappies cost. They managed to scrape together the money. To I would buy certainly some hope no. <laughs> Adult baby. Like, if you know how much nappies cost, then we may need to talk after this. Check my home drive. <laughs> um, but they scrape together the money to go, and then they go down to the local Tesco or Lidl or whatever, and there's none there because some fucking yep. nuggets went and spent a couple of hundred quid on toiletries for the. So I was like, Do you know what, man? This is like, this is the pure prime example of like, all these things have got a consequence to them. It's not just about you and getting mm -hmm. down there and buying as much dry pasta as you can buy just in case. Just in case what? Like, for fuck's sake, like, what? this Aye. is the thing, like we're saying there, we live in a capitalist society. Do you think Tesco's going to run out of fucking bog roll? Not, the longest they're going to be without it's a day and then yep. they will be fucking, it'll be the front of the store. They'll be like, come on, hurry up, like, get your I bog just roll. take it straight off the pallet. <laughs> aye, exactly but the panic buying um i it was like individualism meets mental health issues meets fucking a global pandemic and this is what aye. happens is, is that everybody i mean we've sat for years and watched documentaries about doomsday preppers and laughed up through these fucking nutcases and then <laughs> an actual like real thing hits and we all turn into one aye, we're all doomsday preppers now Right, exactly that. but mate that was March um, and I think like I was taking notes and I thought oh, well, I'll do what I did with the other months so I'll, I'll pick out a story and I thought mm. no because this actual timeline reads like an insane like episode <laughs> like an actual like mental breakdown a national mental breakdown happened in March um, and I think that when we talk about when we're speaking about January and February there, it was so like this happened and it was almost sort of like so abstract and then 
March hit, mm-hmm. and it's like pure. Everything's very fucking real, and like I. I didn't I go month by month. I went, I went. I went by. That's kind of why I went by issues. This and when I was doing notes, like so, I've got screeds of Brexit, screeds of you know COVID, and like time did become a bit of a kind of just amorphous blob for me, John, because I went in it to start with being like, we're locked down for a couple of weeks, you know, they were part, and then, you know, get back to real life. Um, so as I say, I was like reading books and playing PlayStation and like enjoying to an extent, no having to interact with people because mm-hmm. as we know, like left main devices, I pretty much hate people. Um, so, you know, having like peace and quiet and space was like quite enjoyable for a bit. But I, as time progressed, it very quickly became like a bit of a quagmire where, you know, a lot of what people are talking about when it comes to their mental health were definitely on display. I mean, I, I said at the time that, you know, I just went into like survival mode. I just like went through being like nice and chilled and relaxed to being like hunkered down, like very, Aye. very quickly. Um, just muscle memory for, you know, previous long-term absences and you know by the time I got to like three four months in yeah I had that last two months before going back to work where like time was just meaningless well I was like in one of the you know like cubes feel like Superman 2 where it's just you're just floating half in your own wee isolation cube into space you know what I mean like, that's very much the way towards the end that I felt so you know Fair fucks to anybody that get through it. You know what I mean? Like I say, a oh, lot of folk mate, made a lot of positive changes and stuff like that. But I don't think enough gets made of folk that just get through it. You know mate, what I, mean? I like think that. like we we've we we spoke many a time about this country and this and when I talk about country, I'm talking about Britain's obsession with the world wars. Mm. See, to be honest, mate, and I don't want to well, do you know what? Fuck it. This, this is the way I feel. I feel like this has been worse for people because it's almost like mental. There's, there's been so much of that, and I don't mean mental as in like, oh, that's mental. I mean mental as in like, this has been like a war on people's psychology. Now, mm. if you've got a real enemy and you've got a war that's raging in Europe, like we did in the last last World War, you can see it. People are going and dying. You can feel it. This is where I think that we've kind of like, this is where this has been. It's not been any better or worse. I feel like it's different. I just hate when people are like, the, the, that generation seen through two world wars and look at the way they came out. I they pushed fucking PTSD onto their kids that then pushed them onto us as a fucking generation. Let's no fucking uh, sugarcoat it. Like they, they marched mm. through the war. There were people that were fucking attacked in the street for being conscientious objectors, like religious. We just don't get to see this. But this global pandemic has been like a war on people's like mentality mm-hmm. and it's invisible. And people, there's people out there that are like, well, I don't know anybody that's died for it. So it must yeah. not be real. And this is what's been very, very different. We're having to like deal with these people, not even just like on Twitter or on Facebook, but people are having to deal with like, their parents turn a conspiracy, like yeah, having to like have real arguments. Do you know what I mean? Like real friends and shit. So I like, I, I, I think that, I was saying that to agree, man. I think we should actually all look at each other and go, "We've come through this, man. Like, and we've we've done it no too badly. Like, we've Aye. as in like a sort of person to person basis. Like, I think that, and I suppose like when we go back and we talk about the start of the pandemic, we we talked about 
maybe unintentional positive outcomes that will come to the other side will come together mm. and a lot of that hasn't come to fruition but no. this has this has become <laughs> fucking miles off mate, I think see when we were talking about that that's when it was talking like three to six weeks and we're like right yeah. well, we might be able to take stock of this and go where did we fail and what can we do better if this ever comes around next time but we're like nine months deep it's, it's pushing it's going to be over a year that we're going to be dealing oh, with these easy. measures like people can't cope with it but we should I've look at each a, other and, a mate and be proud, I think. I definitely think so. I mean, it's one of the ones where, as I was saying elsewhere, and, and I think we've said here as well, like this is the first time a lot of people have had that time and space to have to like confront themselves, you know what I mean, where there was no other option but to address whatever they were thinking or whatever they were feeling because there was literally nothing to distract them from it. Um, so in that respect, like if you've you know, come out the other side, that journey during a pandemic like you've just been baptized by fire man like you will you will beat anything that you face in life you know and whether it was a bumpy ride or no you know what i mean like, if you get through this you you know what i mean there's there's nothing you can't get through you know Absolutely. what i mean like, and that's something that people definitely need to take away from you that's that's good cognitive behavioral therapy that's a change of way you fucking think and, and the things will change um so as we came out to the other side, I think this is actually like today's link where you're talking about people who've got more time to sit and really take stock of what's going on. And I think the George Floyd murder, really that galvanised a lot of people as we did have a lot of time. And there was a yep. shocking video. Obviously, like we can briefly talk about George Floyd. Was He, he was murdered by, I mean, he was supposed to be using a counterfeit $20 bill. They sent yeah. four police officers to deal with him. They he, he put up no fight, they handcuffed him, they put him down. The guy kneeled on his neck for near eight minutes. He told him that he was dying and then started sort of shouting out for his mum. It shocked the world. Like it really shocked the world that, that yeah, video. And I think that so. the lockdown that was happening almost globally, I think, ignited this fire because it was almost like we all woke up at the same time and seen this. I don't know if you felt like that, but I certainly felt like that. Like it just sort of like, whoa, what the fuck? I think the footage of a black man in America falling victim to police violence. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to sound cyn- it's going to sound a wee bit cynical on my part, but it's no hugely, you know, surprising considering mm-hmm. how much it we see, how often we see it. Um, I think, as you say, that time and space that people have got during this year definitely has fed into the reaction because, um, you know. It wasn't just on an individual level that we had to think about what this meant for us and how we felt about it. Like it, it happened at a societal level where you know we had like a worldwide conversation at various levels of government and various levels of business, and and everybody was trying to kind of reassess what you know. It's all right being up for equality, but mm. what it actually meant to be anti-fascist or anti-racist, and like yeah. That was a more in-depth conversation, I think, than we've ever had at the type of, you know, breadth and sort of level that that conversation was had all across the world. I agree. Um, and I, having the space to have that thought process kick in and the time to know be at work where protests can happen and organising can happen, definitely all played a big part in it. Absolutely, mate. And I think, like, we seen like real examples uh like social consciousness shifting especially in the uk i mean we've seen the 
the the statue, Colston statue in Bristol got turned down and flung into a river. Yeah. Sadiq Khan took down a statue outside some monument in London, a slave owner. And in this city, in particular in Glasgow, like we were calling it the question, the, the names of the streets. And I think like, yep. one of the big kickbacks that came, especially for like, unfortunately, sort of white middle class to like political class, the media class was, what are they trying to achieve here? What's the point? Are we trying to erase history? And I think like, actually what was achieved, exactly what you just said there, that's what was getting, I think even at the time, I questioned in the podcast, is this a dangerous thing that we're doing and blah, blah, blah. And it was just me like asking a question. I had no sort of like leaning either way or another. But as I've reflected on the year, I've been like, you know what? What happened was what's supposed to happen. There was a big event that made everybody, I mean, I think at the time I was like, we all Googled who this fucking cunt was the next day. That's yeah. one thing. So we become aware. The second thing is, is we start to have these conversations about like, why is Buchanan Street called Buchanan Street? And do we want that? We don't necessarily saying let's go and rip down the street signs like the fucking gammon. Because mm -hmm. a week later, we had fucking idiots gone and defending statues of people that. Oh, the statue defenders, which was just the, <laughs> weirdest, the weirdest social movement that I have ever encountered anywhere. And for it to have happened in Glasgow as well, I've got to say, I was like, I was thoroughly fucking embarrassed to see these chimps on the fucking street, like hounding people like. You know, um, our guest Tommy for just basically being on the street and looking different, like whilst they were simultaneously there to defend statues. You know, like they have, what have the two things got to do with each other? I mean, you were defending, you know, statues of Peel, who you know founded the police, whilst simultaneously breaking the law to do it. You know, just like like the imagery and everything about it was just hilariously bang. You know, what I mean? aye, absolutely. Um, I think like I. Um, so that was j just the whole questions being asked um, and I think like there was a lot of people that came out and sort of spoke about like well this was the other sort of paradox that happened where the right all of a sudden cared about social distancing and wearing masks <laughs> but, um, again like I think at the time I was kind of like I don't know like we were supposed to be well, do you know what? Like, equality is bigger than a pandemic. And if somebody actually goes, do you know what? I'm going to go to this protest and I'm going to isolate for 14 days. Mm -hmm. And my life is actually worth risking to go and be part of a movement that's asking for equality. Definitely. Um, that, and I'm like, do you know what? That was big enough. But then I'd like to ask that same question to any statue fuckers. Was gone there and protecting the statue of a guy that died like 200 years ago and probably would have pissed on you if you were on fire because yeah. you're working class? Let's also say worth? statues, statues that were under absolutely zero threat whatsoever for anybody. Yep. Was that <laughs> worth putting your life at risk? I, uh, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think, but I, I that, think we, was... we also, when we spoke to Barrington, um, you know, we we spoke quite at length about, you know, how you organised the thing in Glasgow Green, um, and and what kind of logistics go into that. Um, so I think you know when we talk about the distancing and, and you know the precautions like. Those were, at least in Glasgow, all present and where they needed to be. You know what I mean? Um, so uh -huh. I think, you know, we'll hopefully address that element when we had that conversation with Baz. Aye, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's it. I mean, I think uh, pretty much all of these issues that we're talking about, we've done podcasts on them. <laughs> um, which is good, man. Like, we're doing a Aye. year review and we're talking about all the big events that's happened and we've had 
either a conversation between me and you or a representative actually like Tommy or like Baz for BLM Scotland like I think that's part of what I'm really proud of this year is that again like we were saying earlier is like well done for keeping this going but not even just mm-hmm. that mate we've had some great conversations with people um about some really difficult issues during the fucking yeah. global pandemic so I uh, absolutely what was hilarious I felt um know that anything about the George Floyd Murder or anything or like BRM's hilarious that is that um dot like when when, Bo- when Boris got COVID, his deputy, the guy that stood in as PM was Dominic Rab, kind of mm-hmm. proving that Boris isn't the bottom of the barrel after all. Like there is worse, like we could <laughs> get worse. But at this sort of time, they had <laughs> where are we? We went down into lockdown in March. Aye, so no even two and a half weeks after we went into lockdown in March and April, they announced that we were getting past the peak. Which, with hindsight, is just an absolute Aye. riot to think that in April they were like, here we go, we're getting past the peak. Okay, any bother. But, um, Guys, Trump was still, he was there talking about how it all be done and dusted for Easter, and you're like, well, Easter 2021. Or? Mate, the Queen said in her speech, this nation needs Easter more than ever. For what? For a fucking Cadbury's <laughs> Easter egg? Like, for what? To celebrate the... Like, come on to fuck. Is this really where we are in 2020? Is that we need some sort of fucking mythical character to rise for the dead and go and roll a fucking egg down a hill to, like, galvanise a nation behind... This is where I was like, I'm so disconnected for a lot of people in this. Like, we need mm-hmm. Easter more than ever. Easter passed without me even realising it. I didn't even fucking know it was Easter, apart from I got a chocolate Aye. egg, do you know what I mean? I mean, having a, a kid in the house, like, you're aware of when Easter is just purely because it's chocolate eggs. Like, we've never been overtly... The way did our sacraments um, going through school. Um, but, I mean, beyond that, it's never been something that we've tried to force on her. Aye. I think at this point, Trump was actually telling people to inject bleach, was he not? Is that no, so like, that was one of his solutions. I, I, I the the footage of that is one of the one of <laughs> the, the highlights the of twenty twenty one. The woman in the corner, like she's ah, pure, just, like, she's, pure. She's, she's hopping up and down in her seat almost. Like pure, <laughs> oh my god, did you just say that? <laughs> oh my god, I Aye. I mean telling people to ingest disinfectant because it wipes away COVID. It's almost like he's watched uh, a dental advert and been like. 90, Don't forget 90, ultraviolet light as well. Aye, ultraviolet. Bleach, bleach and light. That's it. 99.9% kills germs, right? Okay, let's have a wee look at the back of the packet. Kills coronaviruses within two minutes, right? Cool. Do you know what we need to do? We need to replace our skin with like antibacterial wipes. And just, like, keep in mind it. that like he was having that conversation, and I think again we covered this at the time, but he was having that conversation in the public because in private, the White House was being lobbied by an industrial bleach company that masqueraded as a church. So they were actually selling the idea that their bleach was some sort of holy water to Trump, to, like, to the White House, basically. And mm. then he's walked straight out of that ridiculous fucking meeting to then start talking about bleach in press conferences in front of the entire world. It's just this pure linear connection in his thought process where everything's just a straight line for where he's just been to where he thinks he's gone Uh, it's like it's that person that hears a word right and goes what what's that word and finds out a way to use it in every sort of conversation you hear that word for like the next year where you're you're just like god please stop using that fucking word like i get that you've learned that word but come on the fuck i mean this cunt used to put it in his song lyrics and everything man you brought up mate come on we can't put concur into a fucking song lyric <laughs> but um 
Trump's like that. He's a charlatan. He's a he's a total charlatan. Like uh, like you're saying, he comes out of these meetings and starts to use the language that he's held to try and make his make himself sound smart and whatever. Like, but I that that was part of the year that I was like, wow. During the summer months, Trump told people to ingest bleach and ultraviolet light to try and combat coronavirus. Um, but I think like the big story of the summer um, was for me was the sort of the easing of the, the lockdown that we've seen. I think the 15th of June, the non-essential retail opened back up. Yep. Then on the 25th of June, the PM put Leicester back into lockdown as like the cases started to spike. Yep. I think um, Aberdeen would have probably been about, but well, Aberdeen would have locked down for like a fortnight, then walked back down again, didn't they? Exactly. So at the same time. Not only that, mate, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people took to the beaches in August, which caused like a major Those pictures strike. were bonkers. Aye, and I think this is like, I th- there's there's a part of this that doesn't sit well with me, where as we've spoke about all the way through this this podcast, the confusing message that was put out by the the governments. Yeah. To then sort of like blame individual responsibilities on this. Like the, the kind of so for me, I, I, I we spoke about it at the time, these fucking idiots that have went. But looking back at it, you can kind of while the, the government are saying the spikes were, were past the worst in yep. April, it's not until July and August that we see people take to the beaches in the well we have the, the sunniest day of the year. Yeah. It's no wonder that people were just like, I'm gonna like the Retail's opening back up, things are getting back to let's get back to normal. I think at this point in time, furlough, like getting people off of furlough was incentivized. I think he'd announced yeah. it. For every person that a business brings back off of furlough gets a grand. Yep. So like the message was, let's get back to normal. And then people took to the beaches and the BBC and all the mainstream media is like, wow, look at these fucking idiots. And you're kind of like, you can't, how can we do uh, that? How can we condemn I mean, that, these people? That mixed messaging has been prominent throughout the entire process i mean even when you look at all the way up to like last week with christmas where you know we've got that same scenario for johnson in regards to christmas as we did with trump and easter where he had set any seed that everybody was going to be back to normal and you know life would be what it was again for christmas because whatever christianity or some shit and like <clears throat> the mind calendar i like whatever the pressure was i don't know you know what i mean like, we all wanted to get together with family in a year where we've not been able to do that, like it goes without saying, but he put so much pressure on it that it became an absolute farce. And it was like, don't go here, but then if it's family or you're a carer, or you, and again, everything, every announcement comes with so many caveats, and every announcement seems to sometimes like contradict the previous announcement, and it's just this rolling cycle of like, all right, what what has changed and what hasn't changed and what area and what not. And it's, I, I get why people have throughout the process fallen foul, but then I think the messaging has been deliberately vague in a lot of instances so that the government, when the time comes, can point at it and go, well, look at what we advised. And you're like, but as we discussed at the start of lockdown, advice and, you know, demands are different. When it comes mm-hmm. to the government, you know, I mean, advice was we advise you to stay away from pubs. It's not the same as close all pubs in the country. You know what I mean, so you know, had they taken action with the, when they were supposed to at the various points, 
we might not have been in a position where they had to feel like they blamed the public. But this was, I think, at least partially a deliberate tactic was to shift that at least part of the blame onto other people. Onto individuals. Through, through, yeah, through, you know, poor messaging, essentially. Uh-huh. And, and it was about buying cover, really. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It kind of plays into their political and social outlook anyway of, like, individual responsibilities. Yeah. And, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, I mean, you could even get an A. They just don't give a fuck, mate. Like, they just don't care. Like, <laughs> their, their, their economy is their, their god and it makes them their money. And that's all they really mm-hmm. give a fuck about. Like, we've, as a society as well, we've shifted. And um, I'll give Kieran Burns a shout out for All About Ability because um, I've been doing a couple of bits and pieces with him, Tekken, his podcast. And it wasn't really until I sat and listened to a disabled person sit and go, what, do I no matter for me to go, Fuck man, all right. Like the whole of society is just turned on like the vulnerable and yep. like some sort of weird shift, like eugenic shift, and it like well it only affects people with pre-existing conditions and it only affects the, the the elderly and the vulnerable. Well, do you yep. know what pre-existing conditions include anxiety, hypertension, um, if you've had a previous mental health diagnosis, if you're currently on medication, and that can include sort of people that are on like fucking beta blockers or whatever yeah. it is low level they are all being counted as like pre-existing conditions so when absolute fuckwits for the right on twitter come out with some ridiculous claims like only 800 people have died through covid without a pre-existing condition go and look at the list of pre-existing conditions because it looks like nearly every single fucking person has one of these. Aye. I mean, I, I get diagnosed with asthma when I was a wee boy and then took off my inhaler when I was like 13. It's like a thing that affected me between like 8 and 13. But see, if I died of COVID-19, I would be classed as having a pre-existing condition. So, right. like, this is, aye, so that this was something that came out, but it wasn't until I sat, like, looking at somebody and going, do you know what, man? I like, how must they feel that, the whole of the, the it feels like the whole of society's just went well fuck you mate because we need to get this capitalism rolling again yeah. like and it, it looks like that because that is exactly what we've been asked today aye mm-hmm. and it's you know sad. what I mean is to go right very very you know sad man that's where chat I heard the immunity and all these other things have come for is that like callousness that and like and a the numbers on market, a fucking screen aye, it's in like, a capitalist market you're no you're not looking for Empathy as a, as a driving force in the in the market, but at the same time, I right now lives is no a great look. Like, like I, I don't imagine that uh-huh. whatever point you're trying to make on Twitter or Facebook or wherever the fuck you're trying to make the point is enhanced by disregarding the sanctity of people's lives because they're sixty or they had a you know lung condition or whatever it is. Like they don't become lesser humans because the circumstance, you know has changed and, and made them vulnerable. And if anything, you know, we want to be members of a society that step up in those situations and actually value those lives more. 100%. I mean, I don't know what the quote, who the quote's fair, but it's society should be judged on how they treat their low, like their most vulnerable. I don't know whose mm-hmm. quote that is, but I, I, I genuinely believe in that. And people have been, and I get it because there's small business owners that have been affected by this and it's, it's real life, right? That are that are going without like their usual money, 
and could impact their family and, and understand that. But you're as much victims of it as anybody else. Like you, people have been brainwashed into like appeasing numbers on a fucking screen, like getting into their digital banking and their, their phone and looking at how much money is in their account is like a micro idea that happens on like a worldwide scale like this money this it doesn't represent anything it stopped representing real shit decades ago when they sold it off to fucking balance their books like we're appeasing numbers on a screen and we're putting people's lives at risk to appease numbers on a screen we could hit a fucking reset button like we come up with a system we could dismantle it we could improve it but we refuse (laughs) we're like stuck in this like sort of like no 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 it must be we need to and you get guys like trump that are proclaiming that COVID is over and that because the stock market starts to go in the right direction and again like they're basing success and failure socially and um, and in actual fact in all walks of life based on this market and based on how much money's moving between businesses man it's Aye. it's crazy to me man it's Aye. like the, especially the stock market I mean you know probably not surprising that it's the focus because it generates so much like sort of what money quote unquote like it's all just algorithms bouncing numbers are in between each other in a favorable manner you know what i mean as you say but i think when you look particularly in america you know you know i mean like the stimulus packages that they're getting offered i mean furlough has been an absolute lifeline for me and you know we said that you know the government does deserve a level of credit for doing it but they went kicking and screaming with their earned force up behind their back and then they tried to ban it as quickly as they fucking could. They have to then you turn on that and now we've got, you know, furlough payments to happen went in next April. Um so you know, nice for me that's been a huge lifeline. Uh-huh. But then when you look at America, what did they get like one twelve hundred dollar check six and months then a, ago? And then a six hundred dollar check. So it looks like Christmas. it's gonna go up to it looks like it's gonna go up to two thousand. So Trump's oh, right. basically no it's him that's driving it now so it was originally bernie sanders who said everybody two grand and aoc and these like you know left the republican uh the left leaning democrats um and it all got battered out not you know we've signed it sealed it it's all there um and then trump came out and went basically i won't sign the bill unless it goes up to two thousand so he's electioneering again. So so he he wants one of his last acts to be bumping everybody's money so that they remember him in four years' time. Do you think um, he's gonna run again? Aye. Oh man, I think I think Don I think one of his minions will go. I don't think he'll do it. I if he dies, maybe. But no, if he's right. if he's still breathing in four years' time, I, I think, think I don't think I don't know if he'll get like the nomination or anything like that. Um when to put it past him, but I think he's going to be here for a sizable proportion in the next four years. I mean, he's literally like burning everything, you know, destroying all the bridges and like scorched earth on the way out the door to make. Aye, aye. I mean, he's just he's just stopped managing the pandemic, full stop. Aye, you know aye, I've I mean? seen all that. Like, uh, he's deliberately trying to make life as difficult for Biden to start out with as possible, um, whilst also now trying to bribe the American people. But they've had 1200 quid or $1,200 for this entire time. You know what I mean? So I know, mate. it's... Like that ideology that we're talking about, where they could, they just choose not to. I mean, one of the things that's going to be hopefully a big story in the new year was in the Financial Times last week, and we talked about that bailout, the 30 billion, then the 330 billion after it. 
I seen a story in the Financial Times last week. It was talking about government bank loans. Now the government essentially made twenty six billion pounds available um, for government bank loans to small businesses as the pandemic kicked off. Part of these packages that you're talking about in the UK, um, in the UK, aye. Okay. Um, but the loans were massively oversubscribed, and the government ended up spunking something like eighty seven billion pounds on government-backed loans during the pandemic. But the Financial Times run with the story saying that 75% of those loans are unrecoverable because they've been the victims of fraud. So there was so little like checks happening to get this money moving as quickly as possible that like individual employers were going in and signing up for the maximum loans in the names of other employees. So getting like multiple loans out and stuff like that. And I declaring themselves bankrupt and like so I the government has just basically flushed like whatever eight, See, that, 60 million quid in the, the, 60 the billion of, in the toilet this is the type of bullshit I mean who where, where do we even start with that but this is the type of bullshit that means that people talk out against things like socialism or when people go we should do this or we should do that is that there are, there are always people out there that are wanting to take and that something that they're no due. And yeah. when things like free university places, free healthcare, this is the type of shit that's used as like a battering ram against it, where they go, well, look at that. And that people no, no, they and it's always, always business that does this. Like when 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 we seen it in two thousand and eight when they came out and they were trying to point the finger at people stealing benefits and it turned out that it only like five percent was happening like five percent of benefit claims were benefit fraud. It's never normal working people that need their basic needs taken care of that take the piss like this. No. It's always the big boys, the big businesses, they always want to drain another fucking penny, another fucking pound out of you. And yeah. that that there's that's horrible. I think the, the I mean you can look back and go the government could have done they, they should have done more to restrict against it. But even when we look at the way that they've distributed the PPE budgets and Tories, Tory donors yeah. and their, their pals creating companies and taking 200 million here and 100 million there, it's just... That was the story of the summer top, for man. me. So it was like, that was the story of the summer for me is it started to become obvious that, you know, companies that were incorporated four days before they won, like, a, you know, 100 million pound contract, uh, you know, companies that, are known for creating vending machines, getting multi-billion pound PP contracts. Like, this is another one that as time passes, like we need this all, we need a proper shake out of all this um, so that we can see, you know, where it all went because you've got ministers that, you know, have husbands and wives that are running some of these country, uh, companies that are on the boards of some of these companies, you know, so there is like cronyism and corruption going on and just plain view, in the UK or throughout the summer when it comes to these PP reserves, um, especially considering we're meant to have a national stockpile that just wasn't there, full stop. Aye. You know, these N35 masks and stuff, I think Panorama did a really good expose on it um, during the summertime where it was just like the entire system had been, you know, stripped to the bone to sell off. And uh, the cost of bringing it all back in to cover what was required in the pandemic was astronomical and almost like all oh, that money went somewhere fucking dodgy you know what I mean uh, like, yeah, absolutely. so it's in, that one should be inquiry central on the other side of it 
Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. I think, like, I mean, I think we've spoken off about fucking COVID, and I mean, that's us an hour and a half. And we spoke at we spoke at length at Biden beating Trump, and I think, like, I would like to, as we were saying earlier, actually, like, is Brexit nears completion? Dominic Cummings is getting to fuck the, the sort of pretty Pretel stuff where she's getting done for bullying. Like, the Tories are in fucking uproar. Um, the vaccination came in with like a sort of fanfare, a Britishness again, a, a <laughs> German vaccination. Um, 40 million are expected to land in 2021, but we, we were talking like Brexit might shadow that, but it doesn't look like that's going to be uh, happening. Um, mm-hmm. But the big one for me, uh, other than uh, Christmas being being announced and then cancelled again, the big one for me that I wanted to give a wee bit of time just before we wrap up, dude, if you don't mind, is the drug deaths in Scotland. Um, we actually got a request through Twitter to talk about it. Um, I don't know what we could really like lend to the conversation that hasn't been said already, but um, three. I think three at this point it's times, keeping the pressure up. Aye, absolutely. The government has acknowledged that they've had shortcomings on this. That it's now time to make sure that they stay true to their word and that they actually do something meaningful. And Absolutely. you know, fair enough. They've you know, Dan's run that campaign that got you know the minister sacked or you know spearheaded a lot of um, the the conversation on that. You know, we need to move on for that now to like something productive and something where we can actually hold them to account on. You know, we need a plan. We need it now, and it needs to be moving as quickly as humanly possible, or else. The pressure that they've come under in recent weeks is coming back, and it's coming back every time they take their foot off the gas. Absolutely, mate. I think there's a there's an interconnection that's happened here because when I was looking into it, seven out of ten victims of this are men, and two thirds are thirty five to fifty four, which sits right in the sweet spot of the suicide statistics. Yeah. So it, this is, I think this is a mental health issue. I don't see this as being like a drug thing where people mm. are like, um, obviously, we need to date. I think we should just decriminalise drugs across the fucking board. I mean, that's my mm. feeling on it. And we, But I feel like this is, it, it's a bigger indicator. Like these, the deaths that are happening are like benzos, Valium, like fake drugs that people are buying on the streets because they can't get them for the frontline mm-hmm. services. So people are going and buying like street Valium, which is like Valium that's been Aye. grinded up, mixed with all sorts of shit and then reset back into a tablet that looks like a Valium and people are taking them like fucking, I mean, 10 at a time. Yeah. This is the same, this same shit's happening in kind of like rural America. We'd seen this happening, like we, we spoke about it in the podcast with the opioid thing. This is people that are just disconnecting for life. Um, we grew up, I mean, me and you, you'll remember it. I definitely remember it. We grew up in a time when heroin was rampant in Glasgow, mm-hmm. like the early 90s. was the tail end of it, but that sort of 80s, 90s, working class, like Easter House, Cranhill, that the surrounding oh, area, Black, Black Hill, it was terrible for heroin addiction. And yeah. we're moving back towards that, right? And the only two things that I can draw as like parallels or just the way that the governments treat people and like we're talking there like they don't care it's about money it's about maximizing profit and that's what thatcher's government did during the 80s and that's what this government's doing now they're trying to maximize profit out of this country and mm-hmm. we're slowly but surely slipping back into again we're turning back the cloak on life expectancy drug deaths mental health issues suicides it's all like 
at, at its worst during yeah. a fucking global pandemic, man. And then you get guys like, and I'll, I'll edit this, is it Peter Kraken? How do you say that guy's surname? I've 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 always just been referring to him as drug de- drug man guy. <laughs> Peter right, Kyron. Okay. Cryant, maybe. I don't know. It's okay. Okay, I'll just so we've got guys like Peter Kraken or Cryant. I don't know how to pronounce his name properly. Like sorry, Peter mate, but that actually need to risk arrest going out there and gain people like a safe place to go, like the safe consumption van that's in Glasgow. Yeah. Um I think like this is like I'm glad that the Scottish government have come out and held their hands up because this is a failing for me on services, austerity, budget cuts. I think in 2016 the SNP cut funding, like to yeah. the research, and I think with the, the they are saying that Westminster would hold the key for safe consumption. So mm-hmm. that's one area that Westminster are like never going to let go because we know they're just a bunch of fucking right wing nutters, but the actually cutting the funding for me four years ago and then starting to see it slip back and back six percent increase from 2019 it's crazy mate but i think that it was really like eye-opening for me to see the demographic and see the parallels between that and the suicide sort of yeah um thing that we're uh, there's symptoms there a wider malaise in our society um rather than sort of driving factors even though addiction for people who suffer it is a massive massive issue oh it's um, an illness mate i absolutely uh, it's one of the ones where I, I i'm happy at the minute to give a bit of faith to the process the first minister has come out on the front page of one of the biggest national newspapers in the country and you know made it pretty clear that this is something that's going to be a priority. And I think, you know, in a year where the public health has been a really important factor for all is the notion that we just let people die because we think less of them as human beings is just unacceptable. And, like, I think if the government have now seen that that's the way people feel about it, um, hopefully that can be, you know, something that really spurs on, hopefully a really positive change. But it's one of these ones, like... Addiction, so you're, you're kind of always fighting always in battle if you're talking about it in such broad strokes at such a high level, you know what I mean? Like individuals have victories, but this will be a battle that even if we start to improve on it, is likely to almost always be there anyway, you know what I mean? Like, so, I think it, it will always be there, but I think that also we need to see more investment in frontline services, councillors, yep. Uh, yeah. recovery facilities, safe consumption, mm-hmm. and stop criminalising people as well because that's why they're ending up having to go to drug dealers for Valium. Like, they should be able to go to their GP with like, a concern of, like, taking illegal drugs without a fear of conviction and yeah. hopefully get the help that they need. But I think, like... Well, we s- look at methadone. Like, that's, this is the next one. Like, another one of the big, big issues when it comes to this is that, you know, for... Some of the people we spoke to, including Aiden recently, all the way back through, you know, Darren and, and you know, Recovery Dundee and these types of guys, like methadone is, is a big, it's, it's kind of the elephant in the room. And a lot of this conversation is that so many thousands of people are just parked on it. And as we've seen for sometimes decades, you know what I mean? A life essentially imprisoned in addiction by the government. You know what I mean? It's, it's something that we really, really need to fucking get a grip of very quickly. Mm, I think methadone is just an actual like bullseye for just making money, like for just taking that 
that solution that makes them the most money and then enforcing it on people people are obviously yeah. going to take it if they're told that this is going to help you come off yeah. your the monkey on your neck or you know what i mean like that this is really going to help you and then people end up coming away for that saying that that was worse than the fucking thing that, that got them hooked on it in the first place uh, that they were addicted to in the first yep. place so it isn't a solution it's, it's not a solution it's, it's government mandated addiction you know mm. what i mean it's, again some that if we're using it to wean people off fair enough if it's like a legitimate medical use but i mean just indefinitely parking entire communities of people on it and then forgetting about them is i mean how the fuck is that the answer you know what i mean what i absolutely i hope in the, i hope in the new year maybe we might be able to get peter in maybe have a chat with him or somebody and i think considering some of the other folk we've had run about it we're, 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 we're probably going to have to at aye, least aye, try um i'm going to have maybe just wind up on a mere positive note because it has been a fucking gone year man um i have enjoyed the podcast immensely like, it's been something that has allowed me to like just like by the fingertips grasp onto the last thread of my sanity in places um but i think as well we've had some absolute fucking cracking podcasts it's been good to explore you know us chatting a wee bit more often um and you know starting to like put our own personalities out there a wee bit but at the same time guest wise like I mean, I, I fucking love the books this year, like Graham Armstrong, Kirsten Edison, and oh, Doug mate, Stewart. Like, we're an absolute pleasure to have in, um, like meeting James for Las Vegas and like having just a, a pure, it was like sitting down talking to an old mate, like instantly, like the guy was just so sound. Um, they've been real highlights, man. And I think putting, as you say, some high quality guests together in a pandemic is something we can look back on with a wee bit of pride, I think. I'm sure, um, mate, we had a fucking Booker Prize winner like the week before he won the Booker Prize. You know what I mean? Aye. Literally, like, pure, what the fuck? That was like, surreal. Surreal. Um, and seeing the growth as well, like, seeing like the growth in numbers and the demographic of people that's that's watching. I mean, obviously, we're talking in like the sort of totals of an average episode 500 folk to like an, an, an over average episode going into like a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is incredible absolutely incredible again again i I agree with you completely it's been a total lifeline for me this year um i don't know what i'd have done without it and echoing exactly what you said i think like james for las vegas was a personal highlight for me being like an ex-musician and that's like my thing um but i i can completely understand why you've just been geeking out on the 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 authors because that is like your thing and i think Mm. we've had some I mean, the names that we've had, mate, like, they, they three names alone, um, with Graham, Kirsten, and, um, fuck, I was going to say Shuggy. Douglas. You were going to say Shuggy there? I was going to say Shuggy there. Um, <laughs> it's un- unbelievable, and, and, like, I, it, it's, it's been a couple of honourable mentions that we didn't get to, I think. Well, um, we spoke about BLM, we spoke about Tommy, we spoke to aye. people about the more, um, the more the issues but i think this year as well we've had an opportunity to engage with people that we wouldn't have normally thought about speaking to mm-hmm. and again just to think that we did a show like four or five days before douglas won the booker prize is mind-blowing mate mind-blowing yeah so, i'm on especially being so close to obviously we're in experiences and stuff like that um Absolutely. i also want like to say like fucking massive massive fucking well played to the scottish national team um it has been my entire adult life since we actually qualified for something and like of course being scottish 
we look at what is a really good team on paper barring some defensive frailties. Um, but it has to be sod's law that the one time we actually qualify for something, we do it by playing the dullest brand of football I've ever fucking seen in my life. Or, I mean, watching Scotland is like being watching like Celtic in the last couple of weeks where it's turgid, it is dull, it is like unimaginative. But like for once, it's actually getting it done. So like fucking brilliant. You know what I mean? Like, Aye, absolutely. Um, grew up next to David Marshall, um, was Mayor Palsby's big brother, um, than, than him per se. But, you know, knew him sort of partially grown up um, to see him get those saves and actually, like, he had a rough time with Scotland. I think he was, like, whatever, 15, 20 games in before he ever managed a clean sheet. And, like, you know, people had asked questions about him uh, on, the, you know, a national side front. And to see him get those, like, saves and, and become that hero, you know, both against Israel, you know, and in the final was just... I was really pleased for him, man. I think, you know, if we get run to independence, like whatever the equivalent of a knighthood should be going to David Marshall. <laughs> absolutely, mate, absolutely. Well, suppose we, we might do an episode thinking about 2021, <laughs> thinking about 2021, <laughs> but it kind of feels pointless because if we had done an episode back at the start of 20, I don't know, if, I don't think we did actually, like thinking about what's the year going to lie ahead. I'm sure we would have come up with some sort of outlandish plans about no i think we were, we were too busy with the world burning and going to war by iran this time yeah, last year so, so we just too. get straight into it so we did and um, we've got a few guests lined up and um, few folk have reached out in the dms and stuff like that Um obviously we've parked guests over christmas and new year because just chasing folk out the holidays just makes you the bad guy man so um i should have some decent guests moving pretty quickly in the new year again absolutely well mate cheers and aye, aye. we'll catch up next year mate I made a promise to not to you, so stop the party. I tried to reconcile.
snow. 